0: If you have your Bibles, why don't you head over there? 1 John chapter 3 is where we are today. 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 to 10. 1 John 3, 7 to 10. The title of the series that we've been going through is For His Glory and For Our Benefit. We desire God's glory in all things, and thankfully so does He. But He also desires our benefit. And we're going to find that today, that God benefits his people by something that also glorifies his name. The title of our lesson today is going to be called, How to Be on the Winning Team. How to be on the winning team. Before we get to the text here, have you ever been on the losing team? It's not very fun to be on the losing team, is it? We don't want to be on the losing team. We want to win. We like to be winners. But sometimes we find ourselves on the losing side of things. I'm going to share with you. Several losing teams that I've been on over the course of my life. And then we'll finish on a few winning teams that thankfully I'm on. Number one losing team that I've been on is what I'm going to call the end of the alphabet club. Yes, where's our end of the alphabet people? The last name starts with like S to Z. Yeah, right there. Look at these ragtag bunch here. See, growing up when I was having the last name Walker, I was always seated alphabetically in school and I always had to sit by the same kids and In my school, the end of the alphabet were not the cool kids, okay? The Weinsteins and the Weinbergs and the Walkers were not the cool kids, okay? So I had to sit by these kids every single class, every single year, and I had to make friends with the non-cool kids because that was the only option I had. So the end of the alphabet club. I wanted to be at the beginning of the alphabet. Let's see those people right now. A to whatever. There we go. Look at that. That's a sharp group. I want to be friends with you guys. I'm just teasing, I love you all. Here's another group that I've been on, kind of a losing group, is people who live in Iowa group. Yeah, that's right. I don't want to offend anybody that might be watching online, but I hate Iowa. I lived there for six years with my family. It's flat, it's hotter than here. No mountains, nothing beautiful in Iowa. Potato, that's Idaho actually. Iowa has corn. Lots and lots of corn. So if you like corn, go to Iowa, if you don't, stay away. Here's another group. Yes, the I started losing my hair right after college club. It's not a club for winners, but unfortunately I was a part of that club, maybe the president of that club. I'm also on this club, this team, the I can't get a tan, I can only sunburn club. Let me see some hands. All right, there's a few of us out there, we go right to red. And then we peel and then we start all over. Here's another club that I'm on, the Sugar, Caffeine, Spicy Foods, and Lactose Intolerant Club. That's an annoying club to be in right there. That means I have no fun when I eat. How about this one, the I Get Lost Without GPS Club. Anyone else? Yeah. Sometimes on places I've been several times, I still need to put the GPS up. How about number eight, the I Got Promoted at Circuit City Right Before They Closed Their Doors Club. (laughs) gotta hear that story sometime because that actually happened. They promoted me and then three weeks later they were shut. Permanently. So apparently I took the entire place down. I'm also part of the sorry we stopped making Blackberry phones club. They don't make these anymore. These are my phones and they don't make them anymore so I'm a loser there. How about this one? Number nine. The I got scammed by a guy on the streets of New York City who was selling fake Rolex watches club. That's a loser right there. I got scammed by a guy in New York City. I thought it was a real Rolex, gave him my hard-earned money, and it turned my wrist green. How about this one? Number 10, the I have never seen a moose in the North Country Club. (laughs) Anyone else? There's a few of us. We're a bunch of losers. Because everyone else apparently sees moose on a regular daily basis. (laughs) They ride to moose. They ride on moose to work, but I've never seen one. Hopefully one day that will change. And number, the last one, the last club that I've been in, is the as soon as I moved up here, the weather got dramatically worse club. (laughs) Every season so far. This is not typical. This is not typical. This is not typical. When will it be typical, people? Sometimes you're on the losing team. Well, there's a few winning teams that I'm on, thankfully. Number one, I'm a part of the Walker family. And I don't mean that just this family that you know, but also the family that I grew up with, I hit the jackpot with my family. I really did. And I have a wonderful family, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm also part of the North Country team. I get to be amongst you now, and I'm so thankful for that. And Crossroads Church, that's a winning team, and I'm so glad to be here. And, of course, I'm a part of God's family, right? And that's the best winning team of all times. If you have your Bible, join us in 1 John chapter 3. I've encouraged you to read 1 John every week. I hope you've been doing that as a practice. It's going to be beneficial for your soul because it has been beneficial for mine to read it over and over and over. And you'll start to notice some things just by reading it every single week. So I encourage you to continue to do that if you are. Let's read our text today. It comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. John says this. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's our text today. We're calling it How to be on the winning team. If you remember last week, we talked about overcoming lawlessness. And John's just picking up right where he left off last week. And I've encouraged you to keep it in context when you read through a book. And so let's read our verses from last week as well so we understand where we're coming from. John told us this last week. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices something called lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John's going to pick up where he left off, and our outline today is threefold. Number one, we're going to look at the two teams that John talks about. There's two teams that he's going to bring up, and we'll take a look at who they are. Number two, we're going to talk about the importance of the seed, because it comes right out of the text. John says this word, the seed, and we'll look at that. Number three is the evidence to us and Satan, and we'll look at both, that we are on the winning team because if you are a Christian, you are on the winning team. So let's start here with the two teams. What comes into your mind when you think of two teams? (laughs) That's right, there's two, right? right. I should ask this. Are there any Yankee fans here? Let's get them out of here right now. (laughs) Get them out. No, honestly, guys, I, I don't want to tell you this, but guess who I cheered for growing up? The closest team to us in Scranton, Pennsylvania was the New York Yankees. And their triple A team was actually in Scranton. So guess who we cheered for as a Flatlander? Red Sox. The other team, not <laughs> the Red Sox, unfortunately. And now I've come to the North Country and I will get beat up <laughs> if I cheer for the Yankees. So I'm, I'm switching teams. Not gonna happen. Not worth it. Now, actually, we're not talking about those two teams. Who are we talking about? We're talking about good and evil. There are only two teams in this world. Only two. There's good and there's evil. There's no one in between. There's no third category. You are either on the good team or you're on the evil team. And John's going to bring that up and make that very clear to us. He says this, little children, it's very affectionate. Let no one deceive you. Do not be tricked. Do not be manipulated. Do not be told anything else except what comes out of the word of God. And John says, whoever practices righteousness is righteous Just as he Jesus Is righteous it's a very simple straightforward text isn't it if you practice righteousness you are righteous just as he is righteous Why do we follow Jesus? Why Christianity why do we give a big chunk of our life or our entire life to this thing called? Christianity why do we follow Jesus? Why do we do this every single Sunday and Wednesday and many other times throughout our week why? That's a question we need to figure out because we can't just do it blindly. We need to know why we do this. Why do we follow Jesus? Why why do we follow Jesus? Why would you give someone your entire life? Especially someone you've never met with your physical eyes. Why would you give someone their entire life to Jesus? That's a good question. Number two, why would someone obey Jesus? Why would someone let Jesus dictate how they live? It's an interesting question isn't it number three why would someone suffer and potentially die for jesus why do people do that now if you're a christian all three of these are a reality for you you've given your life over to jesus you obey jesus you seek to obey jesus and you suffer for him and would die for him if you needed to the question is why why do we do such a thing well we're going to get back to that and answer that a little bit at the end but this is how christians look in this world don't they the stream is going one way, flowing against us, and flowing hard against us, especially lately, right? I mean, all, you watch all the news and the media reports, the stream is flowing hard the other way. And then the Christians are swimming upstream, like the salmon, and it looks very bizarre to do that. It looks very bizarre to go opposite of what the world is going, but that's how Christians feel, that's how Christians seem in this world, and it's, it's very difficult. And in this world that we live in, you have two things to live for. You can give yourselves to fun. Whatever pleases the flesh, whatever makes you happy. Or, as we talked about before, you can go the way of sacrifice. That seems very bizarre if someone put that before you to say, if you want fun or sacrifice. Right? Most people would go, that's easy, that's obvious. I want fun. I don't want sacrifice. Sacrifice, sacrifice means I lose. Fun means I gain course that's good investment to have fun and it's bad investment to sacrifice or is it is it quite the opposite and that's what John's going to bring up today he says Liz little children let no one deceive you whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous you notice that why do we follow Jesus Christ Of course, we want to be saved from our sins. We want our sins forgiven. We want to go to heaven. But there's another very profound reason why we follow Jesus Christ. To be like Jesus. To think like him. To act like him. To do what's right in all things. That is an amazing blessing of this Christianity that we are offered. We get to be like Jesus. In fact, we get to be like God himself. It says, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. It doesn't say kind of righteous or on the path to righteousness. It says, if you practice righteousness, you are righteous, just as he is righteous. Do you notice the blessing there? We get to be like God, our Heavenly Father. Now, if you know anything about your life or you know anything about my life, that's an amazing thing to say, that people like us, sinners, people who are definitely a part of that flow that the world has, going the opposite way, now get to be righteous loved by God, and get to be like God. That's an amazing blessing that John is bringing up. And we find this in the Word of God as a doctrine, that we, sinners, can be righteous. Abraham found this righteousness. It says in Galatians 3, 6, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham obeyed God, didn't he? In fact, in this scenario, he gave him the hardest sacrifice he possibly could give, his only son, Isaac, the one that was promised, the one that all the promises were going to come through. God said, sacrifice him unto me, and Abraham said, I will, God, I will. He obeyed God. And he didn't earn God's favor. He proved that he was of God. He proved that God was his father because when his father said, Abraham, obey, his child Abraham said, Dad, I will, I will. And he did up to the point that he was ready to drop the knife. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. The knife did not have to fall on Isaac. God spared him with a ram. But because of that, Abraham is known to be righteous because he was of God. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, we find this as a doctrine, too, in Romans chapter 5. It says, by one man's disobedience, we already talked about this, Adam, Adam's one disobedience... was given to the entire world. And unfortunately, that was disobedience. So his disobedience was passed from one generation to the next and to the next and to the next until we all, the entire world, found themselves to be sinners. And if that was the end of the story, that's a very depressing tale, isn't it? But thankfully, there's a comma there, and it says, so by the obedience of one, who's referring to? The world can find something else. They can be made righteous. The ship can turn around. The ship can steer the entire opposite direction if we will simply line up behind Jesus. Why do we follow Jesus? Because righteousness is our reward. God's righteousness. That's an amazing thing to understand. Now we're going to flip it over. And look at the other side of the coin. Okay, Two-sided coin. He says, whoever makes a practice of righteousness clearly is of God, but he says in verse 8, whoever makes a practice of righteousness Sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. And when Lucifer sinned and rebelled against God, he became Satan. And from that moment on, he has been sinning over and over and getting others to do the same. Now, if you flip this on the other side, there's someone else you get to be like. Simply by practicing sin, you get to be like the devil, you get to be like Satan the ruler of evil, the ruler of darkness. By practicing sin, we are not like God, certainly not. We are of the opposite team. We are of our captain, the devil. And John needs us to understand it very, very clearly because that is a very big danger that he's warning us of, that no one wants to be like the devil. No one wants that to be said of them, that you are like the devil, you act like Satan. John says it's a reality if you practice sin. And we need to know this because the devil is doing a bang-up job at making sin look normal. Sin's normal. It's, everyone's doing it. Go with the flow. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's having a great life. Doing whatever they want. Do the same. It's very normal. Is sin normal? It shouldn't be. He told this to the woman, Eve, in Genesis chapter 3. After God gave them a very clear commandment, you will not or he said, if you eat of the fruit, you will die. Satan flipped it on the edge, on the other side, and said, you will not certainly die. Told him the very opposite. In this world that we're living in, I don't know if you know that, but there's, some people believe that the Apple logo is supposed to be a picture of the bite of the forbidden fruit. I don't know if that's a reality. You can fact check me on that. It doesn't matter. The point is that sin is becoming normal in our society, and has been for a long time. Sin is normal, and and the devil wants to permeate permeate that propaganda that everyone's doing it. Sin is fun. Sin is freedom. Sin is happiness. Sin is joy. Do whatever you want. He's lying to us. What is sin in reality? The wages of sin is death, just like it was to Adam and Eve. And he's telling us the same thing. You will not certainly die. You'll be like everybody else. You'll have fun. You'll enjoy this life. You'll get a lot of happiness and joy. He's lying to us. He knows he's lying to us. So John tells us the truth and he says whoever makes a practice of sinning and yes, that's a lifestyle. Practice sinning is a lifestyle. That's not a slip and fall along the way. That is, I know what's wrong and I make a practice and a habit of doing that. He says, if you do that, make no mistake about it, you are of the devil. Not just like the devil. You're of the devil. He's your father. You belong to him. For the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. Two teams, good and evil. And then John follows it right up right after this. We can call this verse 8b. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared. Where did he appear? Upon the earth. Why did the Son of God come? Why did he leave heaven where all the glory and all the splendor and all the riches are? And come down to earth where all the suffering is and where all the sinners are. Why would he do that? Well, he came to win. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to conquer evil with good. That's why Jesus came to this earth. And aren't you thankful that he came? To destroy the works of the devil. So that we don't have to remain on the wrong team for the rest of eternity. Because if, if Jesus didn't do that, we all do. Remain on the wrong team, the losing team, for the rest of eternity. But Jesus said, I don't want that to happen to my creation, to my people. I want to come and save them. So I'm going to come down and I'm going to conquer evil with good. So the lies that we're being told that nothing is wrong if it feels good, Jesus came to tell us the opposite. When the world tells you there's no law anymore, there's no God, God is dead, Jesus came down to tell us the truth. God is certainly not dead. And the law still abides. So John tells us the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And this is a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. And the irony is that it looked like a very big victory for Satan when Jesus died on the cross, right? Like, oh man, I can't believe we put Jesus, the Son of God, on a cross and he died. He actually died. That looked like an enormous victory for side evil. But was it? No, because that was the accomplishment of the redemptive work for sinners to be able to find righteousness. That's amazing. On the cross, what looks like a a defeat is actually victory. And then three days later, in case it was foggy, Jesus woke up from death. The very thing that killed him, our sin, Jesus conquered that sin. And he crushed the serpent's head for all time. And he told us that you don't have to be on the wrong team. Anymore, if you believe in me, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And this is very important because the devil has a very, very bleak future. Did you know that? We think we're hot today, okay? <laughs> Whew. The devil's going to be very hot one day. It says in Revelation 20, verse 10, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with a beast and the false prophet are. And they shall be tormented day and day, day and night, forever and ever. And that is at this point that you should say, if you haven't already, stop the train, I want to get off. I don't want to be of the devil any longer. I don't want to be like the devil, I don't want to be associated with the devil. When it comes to Judgment Day, I don't want the devil and me in the same sentence. Stop the train, I want to get off. Has anyone said that? I said that. I said that. I said that at age 26 and said, I'm done. I'm not following this train anymore. God, please save me. Please help me. And he did, thankfully. John says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And we can stop there. That is enough to chew on. That Satan has been defeated. The works of the devil have been destroyed, and we can find righteousness with God. And there are two teams because of this. But why is John telling us to this? You guys have heard the phrase preaching to the choir, right? That's probably what I'm doing here today. Most of you are probably Christians and have already repented and turned to Jesus Christ. Why tell us this? Well, it's a warning. In case we ever fall into the mindset that we can practice sin and it won't go badly. If we practice sin, things won't go badly. We'll be okay. It doesn't matter if we're kind of like the devil. John's saying, make no mistake. If you're like the devil, you'll be treated like the devil. You must get off that train. You must get off that train permanently or ruin and destruction is coming to you. And it's a warning. And why do you warn people? Because you love them. That's why. When there's a warning on the news, when a parent gives a child a warning, when God gives his children warnings, he's telling us, I love you and I don't want to see you go this way. I want you to live forever. So listen to the words of John. Listen to the words of God. And here are the two teams. Number one is following Jesus in righteousness to heaven very clearly we must follow Jesus line up right behind Jesus and go the way that he goes and he will take us to the kingdom of God or we could follow the devil in sin to hell it's that simple there's two ways one two directions that we can choose and hopefully by now you've made the conclusion that you need to be on team Jesus but we need to decide that every day don't we Just because we have decided it, it doesn't mean that every day we wake up and we don't have choices. We do. Every single day, we have a crossroads, no pun intended, of where we need to go. Follow team evil or follow team good. And every day, we're presented with choices and disciplines of whether to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in righteousness or follow the devil in sin and act like sin is very, very normal when it's very, very abnormal according to God's standard. And we need to remember this promise from 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I hope you've been healed. I hope you've been healed of the lifestyle that makes it seem that sin is normal and sin is okay and sin is fun when it's very, very tragic. I hope you've died to that old lifestyle, and I hope you've found the new life in Christ that offers you righteousness. And therefore, you can get off that train of sin, and you can get on a new train, and you can start to follow the righteousness of God. And that's the point. That's the point of what John is saying, to remind his followers, the followers of Jesus, to stay on the team, Jesus, and to keep following righteousness until their last breath. And if you haven't understood that yet, if you are still following the devil and practicing evil, then you need to understand that that train is going nowhere good. And you can today, by God's grace, step off that train by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, and you can start going the opposite direction, which is team righteousness. Two teams. Let's now look at the importance of the seed, because John brings that up right here in the text. He says this in verse 9, No one born of God... Makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. Born of God. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Born of God. If you've been in Christianity long enough, you've heard this term born again. Right? That's what John is referring to. He's referring to a spiritual birth, of those who have turned to Jesus Christ, they have found new life with God. He's saying those who have been born of God cannot keep on sinning. They cannot continue following the practices of evil because the seed of God abides in that person. And they cannot simply, through pure heavenly biology, keep on sinning because they have been born of God. And we're contrasting now the old life that was a part of evil and Satan and the new life that is part of righteousness and Christ. And they're two polar opposite lifestyles. They're not similar. It's not just a notch off. It is, the, it is the difference between a 180 degree turn. You're going south and then you understand I need to go north. And you turn around and you start following Jesus Christ. Where do we find this concept? Well, we find it most prom- prominently in John chapter 3 when John, excuse me, when Jesus is talking to a man called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is, is actually genuinely trying to get some answers from Jesus on how he finds eternal life. And Jesus answered him in verse 3, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You can't see the kingdom of heaven by paying for it. It's not who you know as far as here upon the earth. You can't just get a ticket and buy a ticket because you're someone prominent. No, you have to be born again. And, of course, he's not talking about a physical born again because Nicodemus is confused at this point and says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? He's thinking about the flesh and physical. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus in response, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, spiritual inward holy water that cleanses the soul of their sin and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God making born again not optional, right? Born again is an absolute truth that we must have as part of our life in order to find the kingdom of God. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. We need to be born again. We do. We have to understand that our life has been stained by evil. We have been corrupted, for lack of a better word, by the devil and by the world into thinking that sin is normal. And so we don't just need a modification, right? Someone to just tweak us a little bit and say, Todd, you're going the wrong way. Let me just nudge you a little bit this way. No, John says this and Jesus says this. We need to be born again. We need an entire new birth. We need an entire regeneration of the soul in order to understand that righteousness is God's will and righteousness is where we need to go. And this is... All over Christianity, if we're paying attention, we sing about this. Our chains being gone, the chains of sin, the chains of death. Jesus came to remove those chains so that we don't have to be in those chains any longer. Our chains are gone. We've been set free from sin, from death. And we are given, and this is exactly what we symbolize when we're baptized, we are given a new life. A brand new life with a brand new start, with a brand new heart, with a brand new soul, with brand new understanding, brand new loves, brand new desires. And it all comes through the Holy Spirit given to us because we simply believed in Jesus. And and baptism symbolizes that. We go under the water, we die to sin. It symbolizes death to the old life and we come right out of the water. And it symbolizes the cleansing of the water and spirit in our soul. And we are now alive with Jesus Christ and we can follow righteousness. Amen? I hope that's a gift to you. I hope that's a, you understand how, what a blessing that is to not just be nudged the right direction, but to be given brand new life with God where the soul has been cleansed. It says in the scripture, your sins will be made whiter than snow. They will be removed as far as the east is from the west simply because you believe in Jesus and you have the seed of God. And therefore, since we have the seed of God, John makes something very, very clear No one born of God can make a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And therefore, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Do we understand that? Do we understand that concept that if God regenerates our soul and he gives us a seed and transforms us from the inward to the outward, that we cannot stay on the same path we were before? Does that seem logical? Because I think it does. I think it makes perfect logical sense. But let's go through a couple examples of this. If I told you 2 plus 2 equals 9, would you believe me? No, because that's not a working equation. And John is telling us there's not a working equation to you today. If we practice sin and we say we're born of God, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because 2 plus 2 is not 9, it's 4. Let's look at it from another angle, though, because John brings up this concept of seed. He says, listen, let's talk about seed for a minute. Let's use a physical example of this, okay? An actual physical metaphor of a seed. Let's imagine one day you want oranges. You really want oranges. And you're willing to work for it to get the oranges that you want long term. And so you take an orange seed and you plant it in the ground. And you're very, very patient, very caring with that seed. You give it the water, the nutrients, the sunlight, the patience that you need in order to get an orange tree. And you're so excited for your oranges to one day start budding and producing so that you and your family can enjoy oranges And then one day, several years on, you start to get some fruit on your tree. Isn't that wonderful? You start to see some fruit growing up on your tree, and you go to get one of your oranges off your tree, and you find a plantain. In fact, you find only plantains and no oranges on your tree. Now, if that were the case, and that's a very silly illustration, but what would you assume about that little seed that you planted? It wasn't an orange seed. It wouldn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, that perhaps I didn't plant an orange seed like I thought I did because where are the oranges and why do I have plantains? You see what John is saying? If the seed of God abides in you and you keep on sinning, something is dreadfully wrong because it could not be. And this is what helps us make sense of some of these passages of Scripture that people with a very certain theology like to avoid. Because we've been saved by grace, we know that. Ephesians chapter 2, we're not saved according to our works, are we? We're saved according to faith in Jesus Christ, simply by God's grace. But then you find passages like Romans chapter 2, where it's talking about Judgment Day. And it says, he, Jesus, will render to each one according to his... What? His works? Not faith, not grace, not forgiveness he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, how do we make sense of this? Is 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 he unwriting the rest of scripture that says we're saved by grace through faith, that somehow we're saved by works now and, and we need to throw out the rest of the Bible? No, of course not. What does he mean? He means on the last day, God does not have to hear your testimony. He doesn't have to see the date of the Bible of when you came to Jesus Christ. You know what he does? What does he look at? He looks at your fruit. He takes his book, the scripture, his law, and he brings your life, and he puts them next to each other, and he looks for similarities. He takes the life of Jesus, the model of Jesus, the practice of Jesus, and he looks at your life and sees if there's similarities. He judges us according to our works, because by their works it will be revealed what seed they had. It's that simple. If he sees the practice of all kinds of evil, just like the man who finds plantains on his orange tree, what is God to assume? They didn't have the seed of God. They couldn't have. And if he finds an abundance of good, righteous fruit hanging over someone's life, how is that possible except through Jesus Christ? The answer is it's not. It's not. The only way someone could have produced fruits of righteousness is by lining up behind Jesus and following his pattern with the brand new life and regeneration that John just told us about. That's the only way that's possible. So God does not have to hear our words on the last day. He simply has to look at what's hanging upon our life, and he will know who we belong to. Do we belong to God or do we belong to Satan? Charles Spurgeon once said it this way. He said, the unsaved sinner loves a salvation from hell, because of course they do. Everyone wants to be saved from hell. But Spurgeon said, the true Christian loves a salvation from sin. Everyone desires to be saved from the pit, but it is only a child of God who paints, excuse me, who pants to be saved from every false way. We love the gospel because it saves us from selfishness, from pride, from lust, from worldliness, from bitterness, from malice, and from sloth. Do we love the gospel because it takes our sins away and lets us live any way we want and then we have our hand stamped and we can go to heaven? Or do we love the gospel because it can make us like Jesus? It can change us entirely. And instead of following sin and evil and practices of darkness, we now start following the light and things of Jesus, things we were always designed for, things God always intended for us to be. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, we've looked at this, but these are a couple other tests that we see in Scripture that say the exact same thing, only in a different way. In 1 John 1, when we looked at chapter 1, John said this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Aren't you thankful that your God has no fellowship with sin? None? No fellowship, no sin with him, no sin attached to him, no likeness to sin. He says if we say we fellowship with the one who is in the light, who is the light, while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we don't practice the truth because it's not possible. It's not possible to be of God who is light and to continue to walk in darkness. Now, all of us began walking in darkness, even myself. Every single person upon this earth started following darkness, okay? By nature, by birth, we all thought sin was normal and sin was good. So we all followed the darkness. But if we think that we can follow the darkness and that God is next to us, John wants to remove that possibility altogether because that's not possible. Now, what we can do, thankfully, by God's grace, is again, we can turn around. And we can start following Jesus over here in the light, even though we can't see the light. We start following Jesus in light, and and that's where God is. We follow God in the light. We follow Jesus in the light by turning around, and God allows us to get off that train and to start following someone brand new. And there is God. God is in the light. God is teaching us in the light, helping us understand the light. But if we continue following the darkness and assume that we have God with us and that we're headed to heaven, John says it can't be. God would never let that happen. Your God who loves you, your Father who loves you, would never let us practice sin and hurt our souls and set us on the course to hell. Therefore, God would always tell us, you've got to follow my son. He is the light of the world. Follow him with your life. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 said it this way, using another analogy, another metaphor. He says, a healthy tree, he's not referring to a physical tree, he's referring to a person. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their testimony. You will recognize them by their parents' memory of when they trusted in Christ. No. You will recognize them by their fruits. That's how God knows, that we have the seed of God. What are we producing in our life as a pattern and a practice? It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we never slip and fall. It means whatever we practice is what we are. And if we don't practice good, we're not of the good one. If we do practice evil, we are of the evil one. So in the last day, and, and even now, God is looking for fruit on our lives and trying to see who we belong to. And it's a good test for us because there's a judgment day coming and we don't want to wait till judgment day to figure this out, right? We want to figure this out now so that when judgment day comes, we are confident that we don't have the wrong fruit hanging upon our lives because God is not going to accept diseased fruit from a diseased tree. He's holy. He's holy, holy, holy. God is righteous, In him is no darkness at all. So on the last day, if we don't have the right kind of fruit, we're not stepping one foot into his kingdom. And how do we get that good fruit? Follow Jesus. Be regenerated. Be born again. Have your sins forgiven. Be set on a brand new course. And then follow the pattern of Jesus for the remainder of your life so that when God looks at your life, he sees all kinds of good fruits of righteousness. And this happened to a person in Scripture. In fact, it happened to several people in Scripture. But most prominently, we think of someone called Saul of Tarsus. Do you remember this guy? Saul of Tarsus was a bad guy. Saul of Tarsus was spending his entire life, he was a religious man, a zealot. But he was spending his entire life locking up Christians. Finding Christians wherever they were and locking them up because he thought Christians were a problem. They were anti-law, they were anti-God, and so he wanted all of them out of the way. So Saul spent his entire life standing against Christians in the gospel. And then something happened in Acts chapter 9. Saul met Jesus. A light shone from heaven, a voice came from heaven and said, Saul, who are you persecuting? And Saul goes, who are you, Lord? He didn't even know, he didn't even know his name. And he said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And guess what happened to Saul that day? turned around he was regenerated he was given a new birth that we've just talked about and his life became totally different he became the apostle paul the one who wrote a quarter of the new testament and in acts chapter 9 the very same chapter that paul meets jesus it says immediately paul began proclaiming jesus in the synagogue he is the son of god do you see that the fruit changed immediately. It doesn't mean Paul was perfect and a mature Christian at that point. It means he was regenerated, and new birth was upon him, and he started to think completely differently about the Christ. And he started. He went from standing against Christians to now promoting Christianity, even at the cost of his own life, which he did give his own life for the gospel. Paul died as a martyr, serving Jesus and proclaiming the gospel. How was that possible? The seed of God. The seed of God embedded himself in the soul of the Apostle Paul. He changed, he began to become brand new, and he started following Jesus for the remainder of his life. And it's all because of the seed of God. The two teams, the importance of the seed, we're going to go a little fast through number three. But this is the evidence to us and Satan that we are on the winning team. Because there needs to be evidence. And there is evidence, thankfully. John says this in verse 10, By this, it is evident. Who are the children of God? And who are the children of the devil? We don't need to guess. There is evidence for us. He says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. He couldn't be. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Two words we're going to focus on here. Righteousness and love. And John's going to stay on that course for the remainder of 1 John chapter 3 and probably the entire book. Now, something I've learned about the North Country, just to break the tension here a little bit, is that in the North Country, two things are, are common. Okay, you have strong calves. I do not have strong calves. I need to work on that. Joel, you help me, brother. Get those strong calves. And number two, you're pranking the entire world telling us that we have moose. When clearly we don't. How do you know you're from the North Country? Those two things are, I'm just just teasing. But how do we know that we're a Christian? How do we know that we're saved? In fact, the Apostle Paul, the one we just spoke of, once said this in 2 Corinthians 13, He said, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Did you know there's judgment day coming for everybody? Every single person in the world is going to stand before the holy, righteous God and have their lives judged by the holy, righteous God. And Paul says, you know what's a good thing to do before that happens? Let's test yourselves. Let's have a mini judgment. You don't want to find out on the last day that you're on the wrong team, do you? That'd be a bad idea. To wait till the last day and go, oh, no, I'm I'm on the wrong team? That'd be bad, really bad. So he says, examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith now. Look for the evidence. Now, uh, Travis Keeler, where's Shannon here today? Travis Keeler told me he had jury duty tomorrow. Ah, Travis, it's going to be a fun day. (laughs) Jury duty and rain. (laughs) Pray for Travis tomorrow. But something the court demands is when you try to prosecute somebody is you need evidence, right? You're supposed to, at least in a good judgment justice system. You need evidence to present to the jury that something is true or isn't true. And so we have prosecutors and juries and judges and evidence presented to them. Well, there's a jury, spiritually speaking. And on that jury is us. We're evidencing, We're getting evidence of our own soul today that we actually are children of God. But on the jury also is Satan. To prove to Satan that we are children of God and not his any longer. And of course, the judge himself is Jesus Christ. So where's the evidence? We need evidence. We can't just say that we're Christians. That's not good enough. You don't just slap a Jesus fish on your car or wear a cross around your neck and just say, I'm a Christian. See? Jesus fish. That's not enough. We need more than that. We need strong proof. So John says, "Exhibit A is this: whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Because every single person who follows Jesus Christ is one thing is made abundantly clear: we must do what's right, and we must love our neighbor. We must do what's right, and we must love our neighbor." And we're told that many, many times, aren't we, in Scripture? I can't come to a passage without seeing those two things. Do what's right and love your neighbor. Do what's right and love your neighbor. My dad used to have the saying. He used to say this when I would ask him a question. He would say, Todd, life is not that hard. Do the right thing. And that bothered me. Because I wanted Dad to help me with some gray area, you know, like help me find the minutiae here. And, God, and my dad would say, Todd, it's not that hard. Do the right thing. Righteousness and love. If you're born of God, if you love God, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, righteousness and love is your evidence. If you want to know you're a child of God, look for those two things. If you find them, you must be of God, because you couldn't produce those without them. And if you don't have them, and I mean as a practice, I don't mean like the occasional right deed happens. I mean you look at your life and you love righteousness and you love to love others. That is what we call evidence. And in one meeting between Satan and God, this actually happened. God said to Satan, he said, have you considered my servant Job? Remember that, the story of Job, right? He said, there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. He said, what do you say to that, Satan? (laughs) My servant Job is righteous. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and he shuns evil. And Satan still wasn't, um, that wasn't enough for Satan. So he said, why don't you allow me to test Job with some really stressful things, and we'll see his legs buckle. Well, Job withstood the test. There were some bumps along the way. But Job withstood the test because, not because he was righteous on his own, but because the seed of God was within Job. And he was given the power and the grace to do what was right, even amidst really hard things. So John says, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil by what they practice. Whoever does not practice righteousness, he's not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And if you're not of God, the only other option is that you're still of the devil. And that's very, very serious, okay? If you're sitting here today and your, your mind is challenging you, your heart is challenging you, you're sitting under the conviction of God going, I might not be practicing righteousness. Don't turn that off, okay? That is a gift from God given to you today to say, test yourselves. See if you're in the faith. Put yourself through a mini judgment so that one day you can stand confidently at judgment day but it's also evidence to somebody else because we're engaged in a spiritual warfare, whether we want to be or not as Christians. And every single day, we're ridiculed, charged, spoken against, all kinds of slander against us to God that we are not his children. We couldn't be because we're sinners. We belong to the devil. And so that's when we say, take those same weapons, righteousness and love, And stand up against the Satan and stand up against the devil and start producing them in our lives. And when we do that, when we stand up against sin and against temptation and we do what's right and we love our neighbor, we counterpunch the devil. We counterpunch the devil. The devil goes from calling us sinners to us producing righteousness right in front of his eyes and he can say nothing. Because how can we do that? We must be of Jesus. Righteousness and love. It's that simple. That's the evidence that we belong to Jesus, not our testimony. It doesn't mean don't share your testimony. Your testimony is beautiful. Share it as many times as you can. But your greatest testimony is righteousness and love. That's what shows this world. That's what shows yourself, your own soul, and that's what shows the devil that you belong to the God of the universe. We started by asking this question, why? Why would someone give their life to Jesus? Why would someone obey Jesus? Why would someone suffer and potentially die for Jesus? I mean, that's a big thing to do, to give anybody. Why would anyone do that? Well, a passage we looked at not too long ago answers this question. He says, beloved, we are God's children now if you pass the test and you see the fruit in your life is righteous. But he says, and what we will be Has not yet appeared. But we know that when when he appears, we shall be, here it is again, like him, because we shall see him as he is. Do you notice it? Why? Why follow Jesus Christ? To be saved, of course. To find forgiveness, of course. To find the hope of eternal life, of course. But don't overlook this one fact that when we follow Jesus Christ, we become like him. We think like him. We act like him. We become like God in a world that hates God we start as sinners we turn to Jesus Christ and we start to act like Jesus and we've compared this to climbing a really big mountain which people in the north country understand but maybe not this big this is Mount Everest Mount Everest is 29,000 feet high does anyone want to hike that bad boy? Um, I think that's a good parallel for the Christian life I do It's a very, very big mountain. At the top of this summit is something called sanctification or we're just going to call it today being made like Jesus. And we're called to climb that mountain for the rest of our lives, right? That's amazing. How am I going to get up that mountain? How are you and I going to be made like Jesus? That's incredible. Can that even be possible for sinners? Not only is it possible, it's a commandment. Climb the mountain. Become like Jesus live for righteousness and love the rest of your life, and you will reach the summit by God's grace. But not only that, as his children, guess what God calls us? Heirs. Children, yes, of God. Protection and teaching and provision, but we also get everything that belongs to Jesus. His only begotten son, I get it too, and so do you if you're in Christ Because we have Christ. If we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. It's that simple. If you climb up the mountain with Jesus, if you're willing to follow Jesus in the camps of suffering, you will also get all the benefits and blessings that come to Jesus on the other side. Like Jesus and heirs with Jesus. Can you get that anywhere else? Can you get that in the world? Can Can you pay for it? Can you climb the corporate ladder and get it? Can he become like Jesus and heirs of God? The answer is absolutely not. You can only find that in one person. Jesus, by following him in righteousness. Is that what we desire in this world? John says, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And we've talked about this already, but I want to continue to stamp this. The best defense is not defense. The best defense is get up, and produce righteousness and love every day of your life. By producing righteousness and love, we make the devil backpedal, we bully the devil, and we start to knock the gates of hell down through righteousness and love. And the devil knows that. So he's going to charge us and blame us and knock us down and deceive us and trick us and get us to give up and get us to surrender because he knows that if we take righteousness and love against his kingdom, he's in trouble. And we're learning that again today, that we have the tools that can defeat the devil himself. And God has told us many times to be strong and courageous in this battle. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For guess what? The Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go, he told Joshua. Do you believe that? That when you go up that mountain, guess who's with you? Jesus is with you every step of the way. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Paul saw it right before his eyes. He saw it in his own testimony. He saw it of those he shared the gospel with as they turned around and started following righteousness. People who once hated Jesus were now giving their lives for Jesus. And Paul goes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I love the gospel. I will give my life for the gospel because nothing else can change a man from the inward to the outward. Nothing Nothing can make someone a child of God, an heir of God, and make them righteous. But the gospel can. And that's our only answer to the dark north country and the dark community around us, isn't it? It hasn't changed and it will never change for the rest of our lives. It's always been the gospel. It'll always be the gospel. Every every one of our lessons, we find something that glorifies God and benefits us. And we we find it here once again. God is glorified when former sinners, which is what we are, now desires something brand new. We want righteousness. I don't just want heaven. I just don't want my sins forgiven. I actually want to be like Jesus. I want righteousness and love. And I'm going to seek the Lord for his help to accomplish it. When we do that, God is immensely glorified because we were formerly on the devil's team and now we're on his team and we love righteousness. And we are benefited when we permanently change teams and we join the Lord's mighty army. Because that army will win. In fact, the prophecy is already there. The serpent has been crushed. The Lord has victored. And if we're with him, we will victor too. Therefore, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Get up every day with courage. Get up every day with strength. Get up every day on the offense and say righteousness and love righteousness and love righteousness and love and if we do and when we do we will conquer the devil we will have the evidence that we are children of God and we will become like Jesus therefore stand and fight against the devil with courage it's going to take courage but we have the armor we have the weaponry that can take him down and let righteousness and Christ-like love be the theme of our spiritual journey with Jesus righteousness and love because of Jesus and for Jesus and to become like Jesus. How to be on the winning team? It's quite simple. Set your eyes on Jesus. Always set your eyes on Jesus from the moment you say I need him for forgiveness and new birth and for the remainder of our journey up that really big mountain. Set your eyes on Jesus and where he goes, you go. What he says, we do. What he says to avoid, we avoid and we will be on the winning team glory to god let's bow and pray father thank you we don't deserve to be in this position to be your children to be on the team of righteousness and love we don't deserve this father we don't deserve to be joint heirs with jesus christ we don't deserve the kingdom of heaven we don't deserve to be a family of god as we sit here together we don't deserve these blessings But, Father, you are glorified because you give it to us anyways because of your great abundant love. Father, help those who are in the room today to either further entrench themselves in this journey of offense and love and righteousness and give us courage to go forward. And, Father, if there's someone here today who's not yet in the fight, still on the wrong team, still on the wrong train, following evil, practicing evil, Father, show them by your own Holy Spirit that that is going to lead nowhere good and that you have sent a Savior to change us for the remainder of eternity so that we can become children of God, heirs of God, and like Jesus. Father, I give you all glory for this today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand one more time and sing with us.